A message from our sponsor, Infinity Satellite and Software Solutions, LLC. Barge tracking is becoming more and more important to companies, especially in low river stages and bad weather. Track and manage all of your valuable assets in one source with our comprehensive and easy-to-use web-based mapping and management application. We offer a complete end-to-end -end solution of products, software, services, and support. We offer solar GPS trackers that are intrinsically safe with Class 1, Div 1, and Zone 0 certifications. Our portfolio of GPS satellite products are designed to fit your every need. For vessels, we can automate their ICWW fuel waterways tax by state. The system automatically calculates the taxable river miles traveled, and with just a click of a button, a customer can run an accurate report and pay their taxes by state. Please check us out on LinkedIn, Facebook, or at our website, www.infinityssss.com. Welcome back to Between the Levees. I am joined today by Stephanie Cavallari. Her route to the wheelhouse is a little bit different than most of my other guests, but uh, she's been with Kirby Corporation for 11 years as a pilot and then a port captain. And uh, she's into rescuing dogs and I'm sure a whole lot more, but Let's get this started. Stephanie, thank you very much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Have you been watching the show? I have. I have. And then actually, uh, one of my buddies messaged me the other day. He said, you know, you should really go on uh, Tim's podcast. And I said, you know what? I have an interview signed up for him for Wednesday. <laughs> so here yeah, we he, are. Told me, he told me he reached out to you last night, actually. Oh, did he? So, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, do you have a favorite episode you've seen so far? Um, well, Kyle, of course, you know, because just because I know him. So it's it's different when you get to know the person and then you see him on one of these things. I believe he was the one that told me to interview you, in fact. Yep. Um, yep. where'd you end up meeting him? Uh out on the water. I think we passed each other a couple of times and then social media. Um, uh, whenever I was a pilot, uh I was really big on time lapsing um on face on uh, instagram and facebook so we found each other on social media and i think we met each other a couple of times just driving by well if you've seen this before you know how they begin please tell me where were you born i was born in queens new york where did your parents do for a living um so my mom she works for a company called classic medallics it's um just an engraving company and my dad worked for colgate the toothpaste company okay so was there anybody else in the family in the industry nope not a soul i am the first well tell me about growing up in new york growing up in queens was amazing it was a small town nothing like it is compared today I just went and visited back in January and all the houses that used to be there are no longer, it's just high rises now. But I mean, it was, it was a nice neighborhood. We'd go out with our friends um, every night and just play basketball and, you know, come back when it's dark. We didn't have cell phones, you know, so our parents were just like, come back before it got dark, you know, and just trusted us, you know, and it was fun. It was, it was very different than how kids are growing up today. That's for sure. Without a, without a doubt. I was uh, right outside New Orleans growing up, but uh, 
pretty much the same thing. Come back before dark, dinner's at six, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, were you drawn to anything in school growing up? Um, <laughs> believe it or not, I growing up, I was really into entomology, which is the study of bugs. So I thought growing up, I would be a scientist or an entomologist. And then uh, that all shifted um, throughout the years. And then I ended up what I'm doing now. Well, what led you to SUNY Maritime College? So my dad had a coworker whose daughter graduated from SUNY. And when I was looking at colleges, I mean, I was really big into basketball and that's kind of what I wanted to do, but I didn't think there was really gonna be a future in basketball. So um, she took me to SUNY kind of like a little tour around the campus. We went on the ship and she was telling me all about how you know school was there. Every summer you'd go on the training ship to different countries and you're learning at the same time you're traveling. And I was like, well, this sounds amazing. You know, um, who wouldn't want to go to France and Europe and, and, you know, Spain and just explore. So I was like, oh, I'll try that. And I looked more into it. And with my mom being from Brazil, I had this great plan that I would go to school, get my license, and then go work for Petrobras, which is a company in Brazil. Um, the tankers, they, they transport oil. Um, so I was like, oh, that would be great, you know, but life had a different calling for me. Tell me about that college experience. I'm sure it was far different from what I did. <laughs> college was, you know, it's funny because if you talk to anyone who graduated from a maritime academy, they're like, you hate it when you're there, but once you're gone, you respect it, you know, and you're glad to be from there. And that's basically what SUNY was. Like, I dreaded every minute of it. Um, but at the same time, I owe so much to them because I'm the person I am today because of everything I learned, how they sculpted me, you know, um, when I was in college, I was 210 pounds. So I was not fit. I was very overweight for my age and everything. And I was part of the regiment, which required PT, daily pay PT, you know, um, in the mornings and then a lot of physical activity. And like I said, I hated it, you know, um, but I just, I stuck with it. And it, it definitely just sculpted me into the person I am today. So I'm very grateful for that experience. But now I've heard that uh, maritime academies have changed, you know, um, because back when I was in school, we would be hazed, you know, um, and now everything's just changed. I guess people complained to their parents that they were being forced to do push-ups and everything. And a lot of the experience that I went through is no longer available. They had to ease things from my understanding. Well, I've had a few military uh, folks on here before. Tell me about this hazing. 
it was it wasn't nothing you know it's like if you messed up you're gonna pay the price keep doing push-ups until they said stop it wasn't like they were beating us or anything it was just it was honestly just exercise you know um nobody ever got hurt and but that was the the freshman haze you know instead of we would have to jog to class we had a path that we had to take we couldn't just walk directly from classroom to classroom we had to walk this mug path you know um and that that's all it was it was just you know as a freshman you're you just got the shitty end of the stick <laughs> but and that's what made it great moving up and becoming like a first classman you know you just um that's what you were looking forward to what was the curriculum what do you mean like um what i was coursework yeah what were you doing in the courses it was your basic uh math and history and stuff like that and then i did um i went to deckhand route or uh the to get my mate's license so it was focused on marine transportation and then everything, all the classes to get your third mate's license. So like celestial navigation, terrestrial navigation, um, rules of the road, just everything to get you prepared to take your license once you're a senior. And did it cover inland nope. at all? Not very little and um to be honest whenever i graduated from suny i had no idea inland ever existed because we were all about offshore you know um stability courses stuff like that you know tankering um not like inland tankering but ship tankers you know and uh so it was very little focused on inland and even going back today, like when I go recruit, they still, you know, all the the cadets that are out there um, looking at booth to booth from for jobs, you know, most of what they're learning about inland is from us there at the job fair telling them about it. I'm finding that a lot doing this podcast, especially. Tell me about the uh, the training ship experiences. Uh, <laughs> the training ship was fun. Um, we did take classes on the ship and then um, you would paint the ship every summer as a freshman and you know uh, up until you're a senior when you're a senior then you get to kind of make all the direction you know um, but we had our different um, curriculums there uh, between classes and uh, watch and uh, just basically manual labor around the ship like you would have mess duty where you're in the kitchen cleaning up after everybody you know um then uh there's a there was just so much to do um and then you get about three to four days in each port so you would leave and then you'd have to come back by a certain time and when you're out it was have fun go shopping go to the bars and come back. Hopefully you're not drunk. How many students were on board? Oh man. Um, so back when I was in school, it was all of us. I think uh, it was close to like, I'm trying to think there's hundreds of us, you know, um, 
but over the years it got so packed that they had to split up crews into two different uh 90 day cruises because there was just too many cadets for just one c term so uh they would do 90 days and then halfway through fly a group out fly a group in to do like a total crew swap so that's how much uh how much bigger school got since i left do any memories stick out from any foreign ports do you have any favorite experience <laughs> um there's a lot i don't know if i should say them on podcast <laughs> most of it involved alcohol and waking up with tattoos you know just kind of just we would we were young we were young and stupid you know and this is our chance of freedom and i bet you everyone who's been to suny or um any maritime school for that fact can um relate you know um just because i'm smiling so hard so it's just <laughs> it's just those things that you shouldn't talk about but if you're in that group of friends then you just know what happened you know it was, it was just fun it was like our first time being alone no parents you know just having fun how long was that trip so we would leave i believe at the end of may early june and come back in august just a few months and how many countries did you hit along the way so each year we did about four to five and i went on three summer sea terms so um over those years i've been to spain france uh ireland uh mallorca gibraltar it's just places i didn't even know really existed you know we climbed <laughs> Oh, the one experience that I will share was uh, me and my friends, we climbed the rock of Gibraltar, got all the way to the top. And then usually they had this lift that'll take you back down. So you don't have to walk the whole way down. And um, well, the lift was broken. So we hitchhiked down <laughs> and it was just, the, the way the road went was just in a circle. And these guys that we hitchhiked with thought it was so funny because they had a bunch of American girls on the back and they were just trying to make us scream. So they would just go down really fast and then cut that turn and just, it was, it was an experience. How long was that hike? Uh, it was only a couple of hours. It wasn't bad. And then on the, on the way up, there's monkeys and, you know, trying to steal your wallet. <laughs> it was a fun experience avoiding any details you shouldn't share did you have a favorite country um my favorite country would probably be portugal just because the beaches were so beautiful um and since i'm brazilian i can speak portuguese so it was easy for me to get around you know so that was that was probably my my favorite have you been fluent in portuguese your whole life yes um, so my mom, she was born and raised in Brazil. My grandma, my aunts and uncles, cousins are all still there. And growing up as a kid, uh, we would avoid the New York winter by going to Brazil in the, our winter, which is their summer. So, um, 
that's kind of like I live in Texas now and every time it gets cold people are like you're from New York you should be used to this you know and I'm like no you don't understand <laughs> I do not like the cold I didn't like it as a kid either you know is your father from the U.S.? Yes, my dad is an American born and raised. Um, actually, the house they still live in is the house he grew up in as a kid. Where did they meet? Um, my parents met as a blind date. Um, my mom, she actually left Brazil and came to the United States because she was running away from an arranged marriage. And um, so she came to the United States as like an au pair uh taking care of some kids and she has some friends and my dad has some friends and they just got on a blank date together through their friends what was the planned career track and how did you end up at Kirby so my plan was I'll get my unlimited license and go work on tankers because I did cadet ship on tankers and um at the time when I was whenever I was getting closer to graduation uh, the last ship I was on got scrapped. So there goes my plans, you know. Um, then it was rough finding a job. Um, I won't name the company, but I did get told um, in an inter interview, it was between me and, and, a, and a guy. And the guy interviewing me straight up told me, he said, well, it's really close between you and this other person. He said, but I don't want to take a chance of you getting pregnant and leaving. So I'm going to go with this guy. And that was kind of the gist that I got a lot of it, you know. Um, and here I am, 34 with no kids, you know. So <laughs> it's not like, you know, I don't know what chance they thought they were taking on me or not, you know. But um, I just got a phone call one day. And Kirby called me and said, hey, are you looking for a job? And I said, actually, I am. They're like, well, would you like to come down and interview? And I was like, okay. So in the meantime, I just researched, you know, what's Kirby? I never heard of this company before. And uh, I went and I interviewed and I got the job and that was, the rest is history. Walk me through your, your introduction to towboats. So, um, Graduating from Maritime Academy, I got hard on as a motive, which is a steersman. As a steersman, you still had to go the, the deckhand path. Um, trained on the Mobile, which was my first boat with Captain Billy Davis. Love that man to death. Um, I owe him so much. I'm here today because of him, because he never let me give up. You know, even when things got rough, he, he never let me give up. Um, so we would deck for a few months. Then when the captain thought you were ready, you could start steering. We still had to get our transfers, our loads and discharges, learning the barges, you know, because how can you be a wheelman without learning everything and expecting to teach these guys and lead these guys if you don't even know what you're doing, you know? So did the deckhand pass, did the um, tankerman pass, although, uh, we didn't sit for our tankerman's license. Um, steersman, it wasn't an option for us because that's what we were hired for was the wheelhouse. So I do have a tankerman assist. Um, then start training as a steersman, getting our tour signed, you know, um, getting posted in different areas all the way 
um, Corpus in Brownsville, uh, the Decatur Loop and everything in the middle, you know, uh, that's where I trained on at least. And then after, I would say I was probably a steersman for like nine months, maybe close to a year before I got cut loose as a pilot. And then a couple of years as pilots, a couple of years as relief captain, and then I came to our side. Did you run into any issues due to being female in the tow boat industry? You would always get those comments from like other boats when you're passing by, you know, um, cat calls on the radio and stuff like that. But uh, Kirby is very open to women. So I never had any problems at Kirby, no. Um, that's what I'm, I'm very grateful to Kirby for giving me the opportunity and continuing to give women the opportunity to, you know, succeed and and just grow with the company. Um, but you'll always pass those people in the river or something and what are you doing on a boat? You know, you belong in the kitchen. Because <laughs> it happens, you know. Um, the mar maritime industry is just so male dominated and there's still a lot of people out there who don't believe females should be on boats that they should just be cooks you know but we are growing in our numbers and we are slowly proving ourselves that we can do the job just as well as any other guy out here you know um we have females that will put some guys to shame out on deck it doesn't matter if you're male or female anybody can do the job well tell me a little bit about that uh decking experience but what was the, the hardest part of, what was the most surprising thing you saw out there? So it was the coming from a maritime academy, which was predominantly offshore, you know, and then coming to an inland, everything is just so much more hands-on inland. And that's why I love it because you're out there, you're throwing lines, you know, you're talking your guys through everything. Um, Whenever I cadet shipped, you know, we went through the Panama Canal, but when you went through the Panama Canal, you got the Panamanian, Panamanians on board. You know, they would bring their ship pilot, bring their deckhands, and you would just sit back and go through it. You know, inland, it's all you. There's no ship pilot that's gonna come on. There's no special deck crew that's gonna come on. You know, no matter what the lock is, no matter what the bridge is, it's all you. And that's what I love inland so much because it's so much more hands-on and I get bored very, very easily. So like it was, it's always um, keeping me on my toes and it's always exciting, you know? It was just, it's a totally different experience than I can ever imagine. What's one of the craziest things you've seen out there? Oof. I've seen lots of things. Um, crazy as in how? What do you mean by crazy? I don't know. Just one of the weirdest experiences you may have had or something you've seen. Um, that's a hard question because I've seen so many different things, you know. Um, you know, your first year as a pilot to getting cut loose, your first watch by yourself, you always have those oh shit moments, you know, like it's only me up here. So that first year as a pilot, I think I've seen so much shit, you know, and, and been through it all. 
Um, but I can't really, the craziest, I think I, I deal with crazy on a daily basis, especially being shoreside, you know, now. So there's not one, one crazy thing that comes to mind. It's just a whole blur of things. Did you have a favorite place to run? Um, I really loved going to the river, you know, that whole stretch from Houston to the river. I know some people don't like it because like home is super sketchy or tight, you know, La Rose is super tight. Um, I just, I like those close quarter situations, you know, I like the, the, the whole course there, you know, it's just every watch is something different. And like I said, it always keeps you on your toes and the river is so nice, you know, I'm not really a fan of Corpus, I'll be honest. I did train in Corpus um, on a harbor boat, but the whole West End, there's just, I don't know, I'm not a West End girl. <laughs> I like the river. How far up river have you been? Uh, so when I trained, uh, I did do the Decatur Loop. So we would uh, go from Chocolate Bayou to Ascend. Um, and Decatur, Alabama. So I love that because it's just a different world up there. It's just so beautiful. You know, you won't have traffic for watches, you know, and then I I enjoyed the, the locks going up there too, you know, because it was, like I said, it's so hands-on, you know, breaking toe in the lock and having to go and run and catch your barges too. That was always fun. Um, but it was it was very beautiful i miss those days for sure how often are you running boats these days i know i saw just this week i think on facebook you were at the sticks yeah um well i mean anyone who's in the maritime industry right now can agree that we are like a dying breed um there is just a shortage for wheelmen and tankermen and deckhands for that matter so um, whenever we're super short staffed, um, which happens every so often, we'll go cover some boats just because, um, you know, we still have licenses and when your company needs you, you go, you know, um, there was a, an emergency that somebody needed to get off. So I went and covered. What do you think our biggest issue in recruiting is these days on all levels out there? I don't think necessarily it's an issue with recruiting. Um, and this is just me, my, my uh, opinion about it is that kids are not raised the way they used to be. You know, they are so focused on their cell phones and video games and everything like that, that, you know, they'll think they want to come out here and work and then they get out here and, um, just run away from work you know and I see it at my company my other friend's company my husband's company you know we will hire these deckhands who they'll paint the picture of what they'll do for us and then when it comes to actually showing up and doing the job they're doing everything in their power to not do it you know and I was raised the way that my dad would tell me, you know, if you're going to commit to something, you're going to finish it. You know, if you're, if you start something, you're going to finish it, you know, and 
when it got rough at school and even training, you know, and I wanted to quit, um, like I said, Captain Billy Davis did not let me quit. My dad didn't let me quit, you know, um, and he just stuck through it. But now it gets hard and these guys are gone, you know, no one wants to just power through it or get through it. They just, nobody wants to work anymore. And it's, like I said, it's not an, what recruiting isn't doing um it's industry-wide and then it's you know just everything i mean you can barely get somebody to go work at mcdonald's either you know it's it's just as shortages everywhere tell me what you can about captain billy davis where he came from and you when you met him his his coaching all that kind of stuff so captain billy he's from louisiana um, it's really funny because, I mean, I, I think I have a Texan accent accent now, but before when I first moved down here, I still had my New York accent and he had his Louisiana accent and we could barely understand each other. I was always like, what, what, what did you say? You know, um, and I think it was his first female that he trained as well. So, um, it was funny because, you know, being, a girl on the boat everyone's kind of on pins and needles around you like what do we say you know what don't we say and finally I'm just like look I'm here like y'all I'm just here to learn so as long as you'll teach me you know I'll learn and we can go from there you know um he is just he was so full of knowledge um he taught me everything he knew and he had so much patience with me. Oh my gosh, so much patience. Because like I said, I didn't know anything um, coming from an offshore aspect and background, you know, I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to drive a lifeboat. I didn't even know, you know, it was just, he needed a lot of patience to deal with me. Um, so, and, and he had that. So I just, I owe him everything because of how patient he was and how much, time he took into training me um but he was he is one of the best he's out right now because he hurt his ankle he got to a motorcycle accident from my understanding on his days off um but he was one of the best wheelmen to train me for sure did he share any stories with you that you can share on on, uh, on air here anything um, interesting from his career I just, I just remember the time I finally, it's, it's just a memory for me because it, it was so big for me, you know, with him, uh, the time that I finally realized how to steer without looking down, because that was my biggest hurdle at, whenever I started steering, you know, I was, I didn't know how to work the sticks and work the throttles and without looking at them, you know? And then just one day it just clicked and I just did everything and I'm looking outside, you know, and just doing it. And he's just like, you did it. And I was like, oh shit, I did it. <laughs> you know, it was like a light bulb came on. It was like, all right, I got it now, you know? But as a steersman, you know, it's, it's just little things like that just meant the world to you. You think he'd be interested in appearing on this show? 
don't know if <laughs> he might be camera shy. Yeah. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to convince him to watch this so I can, you know, tell him like, hey, I talked about you. Cause man, I owe that man so much. I don't think he realizes, you know, he was uh such a big part of of my training and my career. And I just owe him a lot. We'll see if we can line that up. Uh, I'll talk to him. I'll try to convince him. <laughs> does your husband work in the industry as well? He does. He does. What, he, what does he do? Well, he started on the boats as well. Um, he is now vice president of Intracoastal Tug and Barge. Intratug. So he, uh, he worked the deck, got his tankerman's license pilot relief captain captain shoreside and now he's moving on up so you said he jumped to port captain in 2020 during covid tell me about that process um so at the time uh my boat was getting tied up for whatever reason maintenance you know um and then i had the option of um well let me backtrack my boat got tied up at the time I was uh, dating somebody and he worked for a different towing company and we had the same schedule, you know, so it was nice because we were off the same days and we were on the same days. And when my boat got tied up, I was kind of doing the whole boat hopping thing. Um, just what you do when your boat's in the shipyard, you know, you just cover where they need you. And um, they, my schedule kind of started getting conflicting with his. So it was like, I was never going to be home when he was home. And at the time we were engaged too. So it was like, oh, this kind of sucks, you know? So um, I went shoreside kind of like a probationary period to see how I would do if I would be cut out for it, you know, um, at the same time that I was able to be home, you know? So I was home when, he was home, so that was nice. And then I just fell in love with being a port captain and um, came shoreside for good. Tell me about live shoreside. I love it. I love being a port captain. Um, it's a different experience from driving the boat because now I'm managing the boats and crews. You know, um, I have 12 boats that I manage uh, on top of some contracts that I oversee. So I, I oversee a lot of boat and barge movements. Um, and I just like being able to relate to these guys and be that middleman, you know, whenever there's an issue, uh, trying to paint the picture for the customer. And then, um, kind of being the voice of reason too, you know, um, the biggest, the hardest part I would say about being a port captain or being in any managing position is managing people and their, I don't know what to call it, all their pers different personalities, you know, that's the biggest hurdle because sometimes people just don't get along you know and it's and if you have two conflicting personalities I'll tell you firsthand just nothing will go right on that boat you know just it's they'll have incidents you know they'll just um the safety culture of the boat just goes down whenever you don't have a crew that can work together so like I said the biggest 
hurdle of my job is making sure I have the right crews, everybody gets along, everybody works safely together, and they're able to do their job day in, day out, come back to work, go home and all in one piece, you know, and I just love it because at the same time, I'm still able to jump on boats, you know, and if there's issues, I'm able to talk them through it or, you know, a lot of times my guys will just call me and say, hey, let me run this by you. What do you think? You know, and I'm, we'll work together. We'll think out the whole process together, come up with solutions. So it's different from managing one boat because I'm managing a bunch of them now, but it doesn't get boring. What's one of the wildest calls you've gotten as a port captain? Uh, man, you get, you get a lot, um, from groundings to spills, you know, just all sorts of, um, incidents and that you have to go respond to, you know, I will say, um, I don't know if I've had a, like a super wild one, you know, um, I remember I've, I know when I was a pilot, probably the wildest one for my port captain at the time was when my captain got sucked up into Canny Creek Cut. Uh, we had two barges and he just wasn't paying attention to the tide. And I woke up and to bang, bang, bang. And I, I get up and I'm, I go up to the wheelhouse and I'm like, what the heck is going on? This isn't the ICW. Like I just see the gulf and uh, he's breaking up from the barges trying to catch him. I'm like what's going on and he's like I always warn you about this place I always warn you about this cut you know and he's like I wasn't paying attention and I I got sucked up in there you know and a lot of people do that and that was probably the the craziest one that my poor captain at the time got called out to where is that Candy Creek it's at mile 420 uh going towards Corpus or on that west end it's just it's a shallow area. You shouldn't meet anybody near there and the current will rip through there. So if you're not paying attention and you're not lined up right, uh, you'll just get sucked up into that cut. Well, that'll cover the boat career. When did uh, dog rescue come into your life? And it's, are you focused mainly on blue healers? Oh gosh. Um, so I love blue healers just because my healer, he is my everything. He, I just, growing up, I never had a dog, believe it or not. I didn't get my first dog till I came shoreside in 2020. And it was, uh, my friend was like, oh, she's shoreside now. So she called me. She's like, hey, I got you a present. I said, what's that? I go over to her house and there was a puppy. And I was like, what is this? I was like, I can't have a dog, you know? And she's like, but you're, you have a, a short side job now. So of course you can. So I got this dog. She was my first one. She's an Australian shepherd and she was just so bad as a puppy. She was so bad. And I think part of it was probably my fault too, because I never had a dog before. So it was first time for me and first time for her, you know, and uh, then this blue healer came along, just showed up at my door and I tried everything to find his owners and nobody came forward but he basically helped me train her because he was such a good dog and he would listen to me you know and he is just my right hand man and my husband will agree you know like 
what if I'm feeling down my dog is there you know if I'm happy my dog is happy he is just my dude um so when I moved to Texas um because at the time I was living in Louisiana so I moved back to Texas in 2020 um I was on Facebook and somebody had posted that this dog is gonna die if they don't have a foster for like a couple weeks and I was like what's fostering you know and I just looked into it and they're like oh you just hold this dog the rescue will pay for everything just take this dog in feed it you know take care of it for a couple weeks until he can get transported to his new home and I was like well that sounds easy enough so I tried it you know we had a great experience and then so that was my first foster so I had three he left um and I was like, oh, I can keep on doing this. You know, I had a house, I had a backyard. So two turned into three, turned into four. And I just kept fostering. And at one time I had 20 dogs in one household, you know. Um, and it was just taking into these dogs, taking these dogs into your home, feeding them, walking them, you know, just giving them a place to live until transport. Um, out of Texas you know a lot of dogs that I fostered have gone to New York have gone to Portland have gone to Washington you know just all over just take care of these dogs until transport's available out of Texas and um it was a great experience uh I really haven't had a bad ex well the bad experience, let me put it this way, the bad experience I have learned from, you know, uh, bad experience like Parvo. I had no idea what Parvo was before. Um, I have learned so much about how to take care of Parvo puppies. And I have the utmost respect for anybody who does that. Um, because my last, well, I still have him now. He gets transported tomorrow, actually. But um, this last uh, Parvo case I had, he got sick on a Friday and parvo costs are like a thousand dollars per day for one dog so with it being a friday and a lot of vets not being open on the weekends you know then the costs just keep going up and up and up so me and my husband we got fluids we got medication and two hours around the clock for 24 hours i was just giving him ivs i learned how to do ivs on dogs um and just watching his health, just trying to keep him alive for those 24 hours. Um, that's the biggest part, you know, and it's just so much to it. And then um, it's just, it's a very um, emotional, you know, it's very emotional for, to go through a dog that's almost about to die, you know, and seeing that and, and, knowing that you're his only chance at survival you know and then nursing him back to health and seeing him just get better it's just it's it's just an experience of I can't even relate you know I can't even talk about because it's just one thing you have to experience you know um and I've done that multiple times unfortunately I've had a lot of parvo cases I actually have six parvo puppies right now that I've rescued from the valley that I'm trying to get help for. So Parvo is just 
it's terrible and it's so avoidable if people would just vaccinate their dogs you know that's all it takes don't let your puppies go out in the grass if they're not vaccinated because that's how they'll get it and um it's just heartbreaking because the survival rate is not good if it's not treated right away and uh a couple months ago i took over for a rescue so now uh I am in charge of destination rescue dogs and I have an amazing team. So now I do port captain, tow boating and dog rescue. Sounds like it's plenty busy enough. Was that your first, so Ringo was not your first Parvo case? No, uh, last year I had six Parvo puppies. Unfortunately one passed, but five made it. Um, and that was my first Parvo case, those puppies. And that's when I learned about it and what to do. And that was the same thing, just every two hours, giving IVs, pumping IVs into them. Um, they have this uh, gel that you can put in their mouth, just it's filled with nutrients, just putting it on their gum, they might spit it out, but still they'll absorb a lot of nutrients because what happens with parvo is your, their body shut down and they won't take in any fluids or nutrients or anything. Um, and then from there, they just get lethargic and they won't eat, they won't play and just they just start to die, you know, and basically you just got to pump them up with IVs and fluids until they get past it. Well, thank you for what you do. I think I told you my wife and I have four dogs and uh, I, we can't foster. Uh, what's the hardest part of fostering? It's got to be letting them go. The goodbye. I cry every time. Uh, it's just because you put so much time and effort into these dogs, you know, and you just, um, there's this one dog, his name was Buddy. He was probably my hardest goodbye, just because when I got him, his leg was wrapped up. And I was told he, you know, he had an, an injury to his leg, and they kept it wrapped up. And can you take him for a couple of days, you know, and when I got he, him, there was some, you could smell something was wrong, you know? So my husband and I, we undid the bandage and you just saw maggots just eating at his leg. And it was like, okay, whoever had this dog before did not take care of him, did not change his bandage whatsoever. And the thing about Buddy is even though he had maggots eating on his leg, he was always smiling. He was the happiest dog I have ever had. And I'm just like, how can you be so happy? You know, I don't know what you've been through, but he was always smiling. And I had him for, oh my goodness, months. And um, I love it because the family that I adopted him, they are there couldn't have been a better family you know uh it's a young couple they just recently got engaged and uh they're gonna get married on the anniversary that they adopted buddy because buddy is just a such a big part of their life you know and um another foster i had ollie he i had him for almost a year he came down with parvo too and that was just um that was so heartbreaking for me because he was older. He wasn't young like these puppies, you know. Um, so when he got sick, he actually tested negative for Parvo two times. And one vet I took him to wanted to euthanize him. 
And I said, you're not euthanizing this dog. You know, there has to be another option. Euthanasia is the easy way out, you know? Um, so I drove him from Houston to Nederland, which was like prime traffic too at the time. So three hours to this vet that would come and take him. And uh, I mean, in that three hour drive, his health just went down so quickly. I got to Nederland and I just get this dog that is just limp and dying in my arms. And I'm just bringing him into the vet's office and I'm crying. I'm like, this dog is dying. He's almost dead. You know, they took him right from me and I didn't know if I was going to see him again. And he had a pretty rough a uh, couple weeks in the the vet's office they didn't know if he was going to make it and uh, he pulled through though and he's living his best life in New Hampshire and like I said the goodbyes are so hard because you put so much time and love and energy into these dogs but it's also so worth it because I keep in touch with a lot of um, the adopters that have adopted all my dogs and just seeing them now so happy and just living their best life is just so worth it. How many dogs are in the house now and how many of them are yours? So um, I have five of my own and four fosters at the moment, which Ringo goes to his forever home tomorrow. Um, Bell and Dottie leave. Uh, they have an adopter actually flying from Minnesota on Friday. They're going to spend the night here and then they're going to drive back with them on Saturday. And uh, Sitka is my newest member. She is a German Shepherd Husky and she has one adoption interest. And if not, she'll just be waiting for her forever home, which we transport to New York, Portland, um, Washington, just wherever. Whoever wants to adopt, I'll find a way to get them there. What is Sitka going to do without Ringo? Oh my goodness. I know you saw those videos of them, huh? They are two peas in a pod. I, I told Ringo today, I said, your buddy's going to miss you when you're gone, you know, because they are just, they'll play, they'll play, they'll play, they'll nap together, they'll, you know, then wake up and they're again playing, playing, and they just became instant friends so, so easily. But she'll have five other dogs to play with when he's gone. Yeah, that's part of it too for us. I would just, I don't know, but we don't have the heart to to do what you're doing. But again, thank you for all that. Switching back to the maritime industry. Mm -hmm. Do you have any final thoughts or any final message maybe for newcomers to the industry or even old timers out there? So old timers, I would say stick through it. You know, we are a dying breed, but, um, you know, we can't continue without you guys teaching the new generation as frustrating as it might be, you know, we just got to hang in there and keep on doing what we're doing. Um, these newcomers, just give it a chance, you know, and please put down your phones, please put down your phones. That's probably the biggest um, thing that drives me crazy and it will drive anybody crazy, you know, because you tell a deckhand to go do something and you turn your back and he's on his phone you know and it's just like man we got a job to do you know you got six hours off you can stop talking to your girlfriend for a couple hours to do your job you know or whatever you're doing stop TikToking, stop facebooking do you know just 
just do your job, do what's asked of you. Yes, it's rough. I mean, um, it's May now and it's already scorching hot right now. And these are the, the summer months are probably the hardest, especially for new guys because you're not acclimated to the sun. It's a lot hotter out there on the water and just the workload you're probably not used to, you know, um, stay hydrated, just, you know, take breaks as you need. Don't push yourself to the point that you're going to get a heat illness or anything because you're trying to prove something. Just listen to your body. That's the biggest part. You know, if your body's telling you you need to slow down, you need to slow down, but don't take advantage of it either. You know, um, we're at Kirby, we're very big on safety and we support you when you feel like, you know, you are ask too much if you say I'm going to stop work right now because either I can't do it or it's not safe you know we support that but don't take advantage of the system you know um, don't get out of work just because you don't want to work anymore you know this as a deckhand you have so much room to grow you can move so far up the ladder you know you just got to stick with it and just put in the time and the effort and you can make a career out of this if you just stick with it there's not many Kyles and Kennys around anymore you know what I mean it's just it's different have you had any opportunity over the years to mentor young females in the industry Actually, I just got an email. Uh, I joined Wemos and uh, Wemos has a mentoring program and I just got matched up with my first one. So I just started, which I hope works out, you know, because that's something I wish I had whenever I started out here um, was just another female to kind of talk to throughout it, you know, um, Maggie, who was the woman that took me to Maritime and, and gave me that tour, my dad's uh, friend's daughter, she was kind of my support system because she went through it, but she took a different path after college, you know, um, so I couldn't really talk to her about the whole inland tow boating experience, you know, um, but that's something I wish I had somebody just kind of um, to relate to and talk to through it all. So I'm hoping I can do that for other women because there's there's not a lot of women out here still, even though every company now will probably hire a female as a deckhand, you know? And if they don't, they should because women are kick ass just as men, you know, we can, we can do the job if we're just given the opportunity and a chance. Um, so I just, I feel like a lot of it is females don't know that this opportunity exists either, you know, so just hopefully it can raise awareness and uh, just be that, that support system for somebody I didn't have. And is the woman you're mentoring uh, going the deck route? I don't know what she's doing, actually. I didn't get a chance to talk to her yet. I just got matched up with her, so I'll find out. Uh, if she's in school or, or what her her ambitions are what's her what's her plan you know and we'll go from there well stephanie i think that'll do it for my questions again i thank you for everything you've done and all that you are doing well um, i appreciate you having me i i 
told you before, I don't think I'm that interesting like everybody else you've had, but I appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast. No problem at all. Thanks again for your time. Thank you. This has been a production of Worry at Studios, LLC.